Good morning. Good early afternoon. Um, Roshi might join us a bit later. I just wanted to say thanks, you know, to him anyway for his talk yesterday on the precept. I think uh, sounds like part two will be tomorrow. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, friendship and spiritual friendship. Look at the two together and uh, think about what are the aspects of spirituality that arise in everyday interactions with people, and, uh, and particularly in terms of our long, longer, deep, long-term, deeper friendships. Um, so I'm going to refer to this book, which some of you know, uh, Norman Fisher, When You Greet Me I Bow, which I recommend as a, as a good title. And uh, Norman Fisher is a, a great teacher in the tradition of Shunryu Suzuki Roshi. Um, yeah. Nice when everybody's in here. It's nice and warm. Okay. So there's a story that you probably know about um, Ananda. Ananda being uh, the Buddha's disciple, one of his disciples, and and his sort of attendant, if you like. And as the story goes, Ananda had been so he'd been away somewhere uh, for, for a little while and when he returned to where the Buddha was um, he was quite joyful and uh, uh, was pleased to see his you know, teacher, his mentor and his friend as well and in his excitement said uh, isn't it wonderful master uh, don't you think that friendship is at least half the the path, half the Buddha's path. And you probably know what uh, the Buddha said. The whole, it's, it's the whole path. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, it's an uh, under say not so, it's just the whole of the Buddha's path. Um, whole of the Buddhist path. So what, what does he mean? It, it is the whole of the Buddhist path. Uh, friendship. I think it's important to, to say at this stage that um, the context of the Buddha that was talking in was obviously in a uh, big community. I mean, sometimes hundreds of people, a big community of uh, practitioners, monks, students. Um, so the concept of spiritual friendship in that sense arose traditionally in in the uh, in that community so friendship grew out of that community and was seen as a very important part of uh, learning and teaching um, and there was a teaching that the Buddha gave on on this very subject Okay, so Norman Fisher says, 
in the Magaya Sutra tells the story of an eager, eager young monk, Magaya, who wanted to practice meditation alone in an especially beautiful and peaceful mangrove, mango grove. I guess we always we were over there to start with, weren't we? I can do this by myself. Uh, I'll get some nice, uh, a nice setting with some nice candles and incense, and I can do it by myself all alone. Uh, although at some point we obviously uh, found a sangha. He wanted to practice alone, but Magaya's meditation was anything but peaceful and beautiful. To his shock, he found his mind a snarl of malicious, lustful and confused thoughts, probably because his practice was too self-involved. When he rushed back to report his confusing experience, Buddha was not surprised. He took the opportunity to give Magaya what he hoped must have been a relevant teaching. Though he said, five things induce release of heart and lasting peace, the Buddha told him. First, a, a lovely intimacy with good friends. Second, virtuous conduct. Third, frequent conversation that inspires and encourages practice. Fourth, diligence, energy, and enthusiasm for the good. And fifth, insight to, into impermanence. And then, as is the case in the, the reports of the Buddhist teaching in the sutras, it's all repeated again. What he says is, where there is loving intimacy with good friends, virtuous conduct arises. Where there is virtuous, where, where there is loving intimacy with good friends, frequent conversation that inspires and encourages practice. Also, uh, diligence, energy, and enthusiasm, and fifth, insight into impermanence. In other words. The Buddhist teaching was that the friendship is the most important element in the spiritual path. Everything else naturally follows from it. So, um, in some traditions, uh, I'm thinking particularly uh, one I know a little of um, Tri Randa, uh, friends of the Western Buddhist order, um, they, they have a um, uh, designated teacher friend, which is uh, referred to as a Kalyana Mitra. Kalyana Mitra is uh, somebody who, uh, a little bit like a buddhi system as I understand it, as I've been told from a friend of mine who's part of that tradition. Um, so it is a friendship, but it's a friendship with a specific aim of uh, helping the person progress in the, in the practice. We don't actually have that, not, not in that specific form. Probably the closest we get to it is uh, uh, Shokan. Uh, how many people here have actually taken Shokan? Yeah, okay, a few, yeah. Um, so Shokan is where, uh, if you don't know it, Shokan is where uh, a student asks for uh, teaching from a particular teacher, a sort of named teacher. And the, the ceremony is quite a short, private one, uh, in which that relationship between student and teacher is established. 
Now it may be, it doesn't have to be on the basis of an established friendship, but it may be that over time a friendship comes out of that, that relationship. Um, so that's, that's about as close as we get, but um, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's also true that in that ceremony, in, the, in that committing to each other, there's a sense of mutual responsibility arises. Mutual respect. So we, we do something. We do recognise friendship in our tradition, but not in the very specific way that Kalyana Mitra is. And of course, there's many other views on friendship, uh, many other ideas of what friendship or friends means. Uh, Facebook is particularly interested <laughs> in this respect. <laughs> Uh, but particularly, I like the idea of having uh, suggested friends. <laughs> <laughs> These are people that not only have I never heard of, <laughs> but have never met. <laughs> um, so the, uh, I suppose you could say this is one, one end of the spectrum of a friendship. You know, not we make fun of it. I mean, it's got its place, but you know, people say you know, two two hundred friends on Facebook. Um, there's there's a, another sort of friendship which is more like acquaintance on the uh, on that scale. My brother uh, a few years ago moved to Wales to a, a small village in Wales from uh, Manchester and retired with his wife to Wales. And uh, he he, he, probably, he he actually was used to talking to people a lot out on the street. He was a copper. Uh, he was in the Manchester Police. Um, and he's always been quite sociable. And within a short time of him being there, I would go out for a walk with him um, around the area with his dogs to, to um, Irish Red Sassers. And the walk that should have taken half an hour usually took about an hour and a half. <laughs> because every so often, <laughs> He'd meet Jack, Megan, you know, uh, Leon, and they'd stop and they'd talk. And I'm stood there with one of the doors. And, <laughs> and uh, so I said to him at some point, I said, uh, you've, you've made a lot of friends very quickly. So. And he said, friends, well, I don't know about friends. He said, I, I've met a lot of people that I know how to have a conversation with. For example, Eric is a fishing conversation. I talk with Eric. We do talk about other things, but invariably it ends up being about fishing. With Joe, it's about football and Burnley Football Club. And although we, we skirt around other things, it often comes back to that, that topic. And with Megan, it's about the dogs, her dogs and my dogs. Yeah. So the idea of friendship um, may be in time, but not the fact that I stand, stand for quite a long time talking to people that, that I bump into in the street doesn't imply friendship. I don't know. It might do for you, it might do for me, but um, I think that's a fair, fair point. I keep an eye on the time. Will you remind me when it's not going beyond 22? Um, 
But there's also another aspect of friendship, maybe down to the other end of the spectrum, if you like, which is what we might refer to as a deep friendship, true friendship, um, lifelong friendship, intimate friendship, where it's, it's certainly more than a name. It's certainly more than an acquaintanceship. It's something that's built on uh, over time, over something that you know, deeper. And what I want to say is that there are aspects of those deep, um, committed uh, friendships which have elements of spirituality in them. So although you've got the idea of spiritual friendship in the more traditional Buddhist sense arises in a community of a sangha of practitioners, um, there is also a sense in which um, friendship and deep friendship is the basis of a lot of our spiritual journey. And some of the aspects of it will include things like maybe like trust, a deep and abiding trust respect, support, and other things. But that's such, I just wanted to ask you, what was your experience? And what, what are the qualities in terms of your longer term friendships, your deeper friendships? What are the qualities that you value in that close, those close friends? Um, you might see them as spiritual aspects, well, you may not, but um, yeah, I'll just throw it open for a moment just to see what you think on that. What are the important qualities and values that uh, are being part of a, a deep friendship? I think for me, with the people I hold in friendships with, it's an ability to. Um, Expose, you know, that part of you that you might hide mm. in other relationships with other people, and not feel judged, maybe. Yeah. Yes. To to be open. Mm. Yeah, and not feel uh, afraid to reveal aspects of themselves. Mm. And, yeah, not to be judged. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I can use the word authenticity, which I think is it's, mm. it's a sort of thing, not only in revealing yourself, but people being prepared to hold a mirror to you yes. and look inside you and, and see who you are. Yes. That's a, a thing that I, I found very powerful. Yes. <coughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it can be quite scary. Yes, very, very. Uh, it's the sort of thing that we'd be careful who maybe we reveal those aspects of ourselves. But with a, a trusted friend, mm. I say this with some feeling because I've known Rich for like 30 years. Um, it's it's a lot easier to reveal, to not just to reveal your aspects of yourself, but to learn who you are. Um, you know, to learn about yourself through the context of a a deep friendship. Yeah. Um, about 40, 40 years ago. We made a couple from the um, we chucked out at the end of the evening because we were talking too much. Yes. And then uh, both the women, my wife and the housewife, were pregnant. And now there's 
people in their forties, and uh, we worked together as a couple, just on the whole business of being a couple. And we, we, we both both groups have some sort of experience in that. And on Sunday, sadly, I'm going up to see the grave stone of her. She died a year ago in the cemetery. So there's that kind of experience over time of supporting each other through thick and thin, and then supporting him now he's alone. It's like a table that one of the legs has been knocked away. Yeah. And so we're there. We're going to be in that grave side yeah. supporting him. And that's one of the beautiful things of friendship, is it not? Yes. Time kind of melts yeah. it and yeah. gives it more kind of like cooking a stew, it's often better the second day when you cook it. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, thanks, kind. It's, no, it's so important the idea that it endures mm. and endures through the difficult times mm. um, as well as the good times. Yeah, it's long, long, long lasting, it's not ephemeral. Yeah, when uh, referring to the Buddhist teaching, the, the last bit he says, when there is uh, good and loving friendship, there is insight to impermanence. Mm. And that would seem to be quite relevant, mm. particularly as we get older, mm. to the nature of friendship as we learn about um, impermanence in a very direct and personal way. Mm. Um, not only that of our friends, but ourselves. Oh, it suddenly becomes sharper into focus. Yeah, so, yeah. thanks. Yes, because um, not just friends disappear or friends die, it's also that my sense of what I value in a friend changes. Like, you know, kids make friends like that. Mm. You know, didn't really have much taste at all. It's like, whether I can get. Yeah, if they've got a football, you yeah, you're like their friend. Yeah. Um, and then, as I get older, I think it's like the idea of reliability, just to everyone, what everyone else is saying, like reliability. Because um, I think that does separate the weeks from the chat for me. Um, times are tough. Yeah. And you know who I can call on at this point. That's, that's true, it changes every time. <clears throat> Yeah, being able to call on people when times are hard. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks, Stu. It's being able to, to call on people goes quite far for me. Uh, my, my best friend died 12 years ago, and I felt like it piece of me was ripped, mm. ripped out of me at that point. Um, and there was just like this, I would explain the word to me through him and the other way around, you know, there was a lot of that going on. And um, I feel like this friendship still exists and I can still get annoyed with him. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't. It didn't change because he he passed, mm. and it changed into something something else. But it's still something that enriches my my life immensely. So I don't know. There's an aspect of friendship that is 
Mm. In a way, untouchable. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Steph. That's really, really powerful. Uh, yeah, the, the ability of friendship to somehow transcend life and death, I might say. Talk about a spiritual aspect of friendship. Mm. Yeah. What else? Telepathy. If I've got a friend, if I'm in a dark place, my friends generally lift my mood, whether it's just cracking a joke, being, you know, they are reliable in that respect, but just, yeah, then you know, it's not the end of the world. They kind of, they, they can lift my mood with whatever. Yeah. Kind of amusing. Commonly, I suppose the ability of a friend to recognise when you need a lift, yeah. you know, when, when a bit of humour is needed. Um, yeah, yeah. I just want to say that at that point, uh, Richard and I, a mutual friend who died, um, very close friend um, recently and um, he, his his ability to go from being uh, he could be uh, righteously indignant about something you know about a sense of injustice about that. and then the next in this next breath laughing about something else he had that ability to sort of you know as soon as the mood was getting a bit too serious to sort of turn it around, turn it around. and then back again sometimes. Yeah. But recognizing, yeah, where you're at and having some respect for that, yeah. But like, if you've got no friends, you still got to try and soldier on with life, haven't you? Yeah. I don't have many, any, any friends. Really. Yeah. Right, I'm, so. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm done over I'm autistic, but I'm diagnosed as autistic. Where right. really. So how, how do you soldier on, Paul? Just uh, I can see that it's better to have friends because I mean the sort of richness in life is still other people. Like you know, everyone is sort of has all kinds of uh, talents and stuff. So you got friends, all different friends help you with all the things they've got. So if you don't have that, then you sort of it's just what you've got, you know. And, and it's, you know, it's, so you sort of like a stone that you know Jesus sort of said that the, that the seed that's thrown into um, rough ground, you know. Yeah. So it's you, you, you like that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's another attachment. I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of a long time ago. I got on with my father, and uh, I had had like one or two friends at school, sort of friends. I'd gone bullied and stuff. But I mean, you know, in the playground, having all these snow, snow was slugging me from the whole mm. around me, sort of thing. One really brick hard ball sort of came right down from some sort of wild. Uh, high above and smashed into my leg and, and I didn't think he hated me and it just you know surrounded by all the people and just um, mm. you know so having one friend in that situation but he went to Cambridge right and I rang him up and uh, and he rejected me because uh, he had you know, oh. gone to Cambridge I think maybe he got a girlfriend or something but, but he was a decent guy but yeah. um, he, he just uh, was long silence and didn't like to know me anymore can, can I ask you then uh, I mean yeah uh... Can be can be difficult, but we're going to soldier on. And, and you you've been a member of the sangha for quite a long time. Right? Yeah, I mean that's definitely very helpful. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. 
because without that, I just be, you know, I try to be an artist, but how many people make it as an artist? Yeah. The odds are just impossible. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it? obviously, uh, this is big mind for me. Without this, I'm just sort of hiding away in my house, just meditating and stuff. But you know what I mean? I never get anywhere. I never, you know, these high concentration states are just beyond me, you know, because my mind is very negative. Your mind needs to be in a sort of uh, fertile, positive okay. place, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank, thank you for your honesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really so true. Um, and uh, thanks for being here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate it still being here on Wednesdays. I thought, because I thought I might not be able to stay, so I'm, I'm still here Wednesday, so I'm really pleased about that. Yeah. <laughs> We're all still here. <laughs> holding on. <laughs> <laughs> We're all holding on for 15 <laughs> all of us into that journey. Um, yeah, certainly part of the experience of Sangha for me is, is, is friendship. And, uh, um, <clears throat> over the years with, with different people, even within our Sangha, people who've left, people who've come, um, it's, it's wonderful sort of richness to, to life. Um, so, you know, I would argue, as you probably see, I would argue that there is a, a, an element of spirituality to to all our friendships, um, maybe apart from the, uh, the suggested friendships from the algorithm, but who knows? Um, yeah. You're more likely to find a life partner with an algorithm. Than <laughs> 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 yeah, that's a thought. <laughs> the evidence is there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do they last? Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. Talking about evidence and, and board comment, I don't know if you're familiar with it, the longest running study of human lives have come at Harvard and incidentally the, the director of it is psychiatrist but also then priest by the by. But uh, the things the thing that that shows beyond any doubt is that the one thing that leads to the good life is connection, friendships. It's the most powerful thing that a lot of people can let on themselves with. But you don't need hundreds of friends. Or you just need one or <laughs> seventeen. Yeah, yeah. And that that sort of has a powerful, protective effect, even yeah. against physical illnesses. And yes, yes. And, yeah. So we should we should you know perhaps upgrade it. We maybe we thought it's just a pebble of friendship, but yeah. not at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, it's really really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and and clearly in the the Buddhist teaching, he said. Uh, in the path, it is all of the path. Friendship is all of the path because it gives rise to that um, uh, that shared sort of um, direction and commitment to practice. Um, but we, do, we don't need to be in a, you know, as I say, he was talking in the commu- a context of a community of uh, practitioners who probably lived, lived and worked together. Um, but uh, for for many of us, we're um, in a situation where we come into contact with a lot of different people from different walks of life, and some of them become close, close friends. Um, but it's, so it seems to me that a spiritual friend doesn't always have to be a fellow monk or uh, a student or a teacher even. 
And it's nice when it is. If, if, if you do, uh, friendships do arise in the Sangam with teachers and uh, other, other students. But encouragement, when we talk about encouragement to practice, it comes along in many ways when you think about what encouraged you to practice in the first place. Um, that certainly doesn't have to be a teacher or uh, another monk. Um, for instance, in my, my case, uh, I was introduced to, well, I, I've got a, 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 light, a long term friend. Um, as I say, he was part of the Tree Ratna tradition. But I, I met him when we were working with a, a very uh, um, difficult young young person with a, a lot of mental health issues that um, needed a lot of support. And he, he was uh, one of the support workers and I was a, a clinical psychologist and we sort of worked, worked together quite a lot. And out of that work came the fact that he was had been a, a practicing uh, Buddhist for 10 years. And he started to tell me about Buddhism. And um, I, I wasn't drawn to the Tree Ratna route for, for various reasons. But later, I uh, I sort of picked up on it. And, and I would use him as a guide. And said, what do you think of this? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you think of this guy? Dave Scott guy. Rubbish. Yeah. So he... Um, I tell you, it's a completely different tradition, but he, he definitely encouraged me. And we're still in contact. And we often still talk about when we do talk, because he moved to Cambridge at the time of the, um, the uh, pandemic. We, we still talk at some point about, you know, practice, where are you up to? You know, I'm giving a talk tonight. What do you think I should talk about? Uh, what's a good topic? And then go and talk about something completely different, <laughs> whatever comes up. Um, I also mentioned, you know, my, my wife Heidi actually, she doesn't sit, she, she's not a Zen practitioner, she has her own sort of um, practice and her own beliefs. Um, and yet she encouraged me to, to seek out a Sangha in the first place. And uh, as and, She's encouraged me by coming to every, you know, uh, ceremony that uh, one has been through. You know, you know, we've got the Jukai ceremony coming up at the end of this this week, and uh, for me, she came to every one of them. Um, maybe she was trying to get rid of me like, <laughs> at some point. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so it doesn't need to be a teacher. It can, it can be any anyone, anyone. Else. Particularly as a, as a good uh, deep friendship. An interesting idea as well: the encouragement to practice and the encouragement to uh, development in the path um, doesn't always come from a person either. It can arise through a different medium. It could arise through something we've read, something we've heard. Um, you know, something we've heard about, like a, a sangha. Um, the encouragement to practice could come through session. Is anybody here actually here for the first time on session? Hi, right, John. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Um, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, even even this mat and cushion, your mats and cushions are supporting your um, spiritual aspirations. Even this floor, in this house, this sangha, and even something as ephemeral as the night sky. No, no. When you when you walk out at night, uh, I, I mean, although the weather's not been great the last day, so, <clears throat> but uh, it's been very clear at night. You look up, and the question arises always. Well, it does for me anyway. But what is that? <laughs> what is that? Which I think is often, in my experience, is often a starting point for a spiritual entering into a spiritual path. You know, an uncertainty, a question about what am I? What is this experience? What is that? Um, you know, we reach a point where we've got more questions than answers. Hopefully over time, we find a few answers, but invariably what we find is <laughs> more questions. It's a constant sort of acceptance that this life is ultimately unknowable. There will always be another question. Another thing that can give rise to our uh, uh, encouragement on the path is our own suffering our own pain, coming to terms with our, uh, our own uh, painful experience. That in itself can become an incentive to practice or to continue to practice. Um, yeah. I'm going to come back to uh, Norman Fisher in a moment. So, but just because it's a, it's a good opportunity, anybody who hasn't said anything yet about, you know, those values that you, uh, the things that you really value in a, in a friendship or in, in your good friendships. Yeah. I met my best friend at uh, university, um, and uh, he's from Bristol, so when university was over, he went back to Bristol, I went back to Liverpool, and so we don't see each other as, as often. I do find that whenever we do see each other, whenever we do meet up, I'm sure everyone has had a similar experience with their close friends. It just feels like nothing has changed at all. You just pick up exactly where you left off. Yeah. That kind of unconditional friendship, um, ability to just pick up where you left off and be entirely yourselves. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks, John. That, that's so true. I, 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 think, I think a very common experience. It's like, wow, you know, it's like there wasn't the intervening 20 years. It just picked up again, or 10 years, or whatever it was. And sometimes, sometimes it's just kind of sort of start off differently. So when I was really ill and bedbound with long COVID, the, a lot of the friendships, the people that I knew, were really uncomfortable with that because they were used to me being this person who just charged up hills. And they didn't really know what to say or how to relate. And it was actually people from the Sangha who were the only ones really who were able to kind of not pretend that things were different. But I also made some friends during that point. And one was somebody who just happened to be in um, an online group that we'd done it on um, calligraphy. Some guy in Scotland during COVID started right. teaching it online and 
found out this other person on the session was also a, a, a semi-pavel cell. So I was pretty much fed around with non-COVID. He's housebound with MA. And it just started this kind of emails that go back and forwards. And because it starts on the point of us both being really, really restricted in our lives, there wasn't any that pretending. So it kind of got... Mm. And that, actually, at that point, neither of us were doing any teaching or anything like that, but he's since become a, a SEN teacher, and obviously I've come coaching. So there's a lot of the conversations now, like, actually, how the hell do you deal with kind of things changing? And mm. Mm. Um, But, you know, the fact that he's... Well, he still has fun. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of realness and rawness to it, and our kids are both growing up, and there's a whole load of different things that mm. I wouldn't have guessed that I could have such long, serious conversations with somebody by email that I've never met before, other than that initial session I've never even spoken to mm. before, and yet it somehow it feels really real. So I think it's really surprising sometimes what becomes a real friendship yeah. and what yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Yes, I do, I do agree. I, do, I think it, I think it's more about being open to what's coming along around the corner. Mm. You know, being open to the opportunities that arise, even though they don't necessarily look like what we anticipated mm. a friend should look like. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Harry. One of my challenges with friendship at the moment is I have a friend. I met her when she was sixty. She's now. Last Sunday she was 94. Right. For the last eight years or more, she's had developmental dementia. Mm. So from going from that, being able to sit down and have three hour breakfasts after having not seen each other for six months because we should yak and yak and yak, and then that should have sounded uh, virtuous skills. Then that becomes emails, and then emails become impossible when you go into Zoom, and then she just forgets how to. Mm -hmm. And I suppose part of the learning for me is about how I sustain that friendship and how I still show the integrity of it, really. Yeah. Yeah. And now we've moved on to the postcards and from wherever I go. And I'm finding that's a, yeah. a learning thing from yeah, yeah. And I, I defy anybody to, to, to not say that there's, that's an aspect of spirituality and be recognizing, you know, that, that changing need of a friend and uh, being available for them and really working to still communicate. Um, yeah. Thank you. Marty. Thanks. Uh, I'm just conscious of the time, but. <clears throat> We're going to do service, but uh, I'll just finish off by reading a bit more from Norman Fisher. <clears throat> he says, I appreciate the truth and beauty of the Buddhist teaching more and more as the years go by. To be able to practice with good friends for 5, 10, 20, 30 or 40 years is a special joy. So much comes of it. As you ripen an age, you appreciate the nobility and uniqueness of each friend, the twists and turns of each life, and the gift each has given you. After a while, you begin attending the funerals of your dearest friends, and each loss seems to increase the gravity and preciousness of your own life, and makes the remaining friendships even more important. Friendship may be the most wonderful form of human relationship. 
that we and our friends can communicate intimately with one another and support each other unselfishly, come what may. This truly is a masterpiece of nature and one of our brightest human achievements. It is also, I believe, why our best hope in troubled times. When things are tough, having a trusted friend to help shoulder the burden makes survival not only infinitely more possible, but also much lovelier. Words of wisdom. Yeah. Anybody wanted to add a final comment? When I say final, I mean <laughs> <laughs> today. Okay, okay, thanks. We should do service. <laughs>